This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, Keeping Carlson listeners. Elon here. I've got a quick message before we get on with the show. Brian and I have set up an account on a site called Patreon to allow the more diehard fans to become what we call patrons of Keeping Carlson in exchange for what we think are some pretty cool rewards and incentives. I'll pop back in at the end of the show to give you some more information. So if this sounds like something you might be interested in, please stick around after the outro music completes to learn more about how you can become a patron of Keeping Carlson and about the exciting rewards that we have to offer you guys. Or if you want to check it out right now, you could go to patreon.com slash keepingcarlson. But I don't want to distract any more from the episode. We've got a good one. So let's cue that intro music and enjoy this week's episode. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill är så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson! Yes. Welcome, everybody, to another regular episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as usual, is Brian Calm. Hey, Elon, did you just specify that this was a regular podcast? Yeah, well, I wanted to distinguish it from the special bonus content podcast we released earlier in the week where I interviewed Brock Sagan from Daily Faceoff. But now this is back to a regular episode. Okay, cool. So hopefully everybody enjoyed that last bonus episode. We're going to try and do another extra episode this week. We'll see what happens. But for now, this episode is still presented by DailyFaceOff.com. Yeah, that's your place to go to see line combos, starting goalies. Brock talked on the bonus episode about his goalie rankings for heavy days. So lots there. Definitely always check out Daily Faceoff. But let's get on to this episode of Keeping Carlson, because we've got a lot to talk about. Let's start with our fantasy hockey headlines, and headline number one, Druin! Druin, 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 he started! Everyone is going bananas, or at least they were on Twitter that day that he started. I remember just seeing everyone tweeting about Druin. It's been four games now for the Tampa Bay prospect, and he's got a goal and two assists, so not a bad start for Jonathan Druin. He's playing with Stamkos. He's on the power play. I guess it's not really the case where we could give advice to pick him up. I'm sure he's already owned in your leagues, but Brian, can you give a general assessment of Jonathan Druin? What do you think his fantasy value is for this season? I think his fantasy value is exactly the value of the song you just sang, which is really exciting with a lot of upside and (laughs) has the potential to surprise. But maybe not, because expectations are already really high for him. We actually had a a good Twitter question the night that he first showed up in the lineup. It came from at JM underscore Schroeder, and his question was, Druin's hype and high draft confuse me. 
Caution on Toffoli and his low draft seem odd. His points per game in the minors seems amazing. So to summarize that in more than 140 characters, he's kind of saying, why is there so much hype for Druin? And nobody seems to care much about Toffoli, even though Toffoli was still drafted, like in the middle of the second round, and averaged almost as many points per game in junior as Druin did. Man, well, that is a good question. Why is that, Brian? Okay, so let's just dial it back a second. And it was really exciting the night that Druin started. I I think it got overblown a little bit, maybe because it was kind of like a clandestine action by the coach who hadn't actually announced that Druin was going to be in the lineup. Somebody got scratched late. I think it was Kalorn, And suddenly there, Druin was taking line rushes before the game began. And on that night, I threw out a bunch of tweets that may or may not have been tongue-in-cheek, and to be honest, I don't even know if I was being serious or not myself, and that's around the time that we got this tweet, and it's a great question, and I've got two main reasons that I can think of for why we're hyping Druan, sort of, and Toffoli is getting a lot of cautious kind of play. And let's begin with their respective NHL teams as the first reason. The Kings are not an exciting team. I feel like this might be a weekly point for me to make. And yes, Toffoli is one of the scorers on that team, but they are notoriously low scoring. They're happy to spend their efforts clogging opponent passing lanes, then building on their leads. And Tampa, on the other hand, lets their forwards run a little looser. And this puts them firmly in the top third of the league in terms of goal scoring. I'd rather have the guy on the offensively minded team. That makes sense, especially if he's known for his offensive creativity. The second reason is Druin's pedigree. And while our tweeter mentioned, well, you know, Toffoli was still picked 47th overall, Druin was picked second overall. And his junior numbers are undeniable. They're more impressive than Toffoli's. And what amps that up even more is his direct jump to the NHL. Any hype surrounding Toffoli was mediated by a year in the AHL with the Manchester Monarchs, and then we saw him bounce back and forth between the big leagues and minors for a little while. Going back to Druin's draft position, he was considered roughly equivalent to Nathan McKinnon at the time. He, McKinnon, and Barkov were all kind of lumped together, but more he and McKinnon. And McKinnon went ahead and scored 63 points in his rookie year. There's a fair temptation to use that as evidence for Druin being able to do the same thing, especially after seeing so many Lightning guys with less of a pedigree see success with the team last year, like Andre Pallet, Tyler Johnson, and Alex Killorn. But I just want to be clear, it's not like we've been too down on Toffoli all this time, being overly cautious I'm saving that more for Tanner Pearson, but Toffoli, he's been on our radar and waiver wire pickup list since midway through last season. I think the bottom line is he just doesn't have the opportunity or the upside to be a near-generational player in the way that Druen does. It's also going to be much harder to add Druen to your team if you hesitate even for a second. Well, yeah, it's also worth pointing out that Toffoli is not playing on the number one power play in LA. It's going to be hard for him to crack that. Druen has pretty much got the Red carpet treatment right to the power play with Stamkos. That being said, Tyler Toffoli has eight points in seven games so far this season, so I feel like if he's a free agent in your league, you probably want to grab him, but take Druin first if they're both available. Yeah, especially if you're in a keeper league and you know what's coming, Toffoli's percentages are high. They're not really high, though. They're not, like, crazy high, like most people's were last week. They're on their way down. He's still seeing quite a bit of luck. Would you believe that when he's been on the ice at even strength, his goalie has stopped 100% of the shots that he's faced? So Toffoli has not been on the ice for an even strength goal against. That's pretty amazing. That's got to be good for the plus minus. Yeah, plus nine for the leagues that count it. 
on to the second headline of the week, and that's just a bunch of injuries and outjuries and suspensions. We're just going to talk about some of the movement going around in the NHL. And the first outjury I want to talk about, and I think outjury might be a trademark keeping Carlson phrase. I'm not sure. But Lubomir Viznovsky is back on the Islanders' D. He's come back from injury. He's played two games already. Yesterday, he got a goal and an assist, so a great game. He's back also on the number one Islanders' power play. And so that's news just in itself about Viznovsky. And also it's news about Johnny Boychuk, who is now off the first Islanders power play and really hasn't done anything since his really hot start, which feels like a long time ago already, I'm sure, especially for Boychuk owners. Brian, what's your take on Viznovsky and Boychuk's future, or at least for this season? Well, Boychuk isn't doing himself any favors. He has zero points on the last 21 goals scored by the New York Islanders, and that includes the seven that they hung on Dallas on Saturday night. And Visnovsky, I think, in most leagues is like a free power play quarterback if somebody was not clever enough to stash him away on their IR at the beginning of the season. His point totals over the last two years have not been that great since moving to the Islanders, although he hasn't had a ton of games to play. He has 25 points in about 59 games played, but that's not counting his two points in two games played this season. I think there was an assumption that he was going to have to work his way up before being able to quarterback the first power play unit, but it only took him till his second game to get there. I think that you should still exercise a little caution. I don't know if he's going to have that outright or they're just experimenting. And also his injury is kind of one that will nag at him probably for the rest of his career. So you don't want to go all in on Visnovsky, but if you can add him as like a third or a fourth defenseman, he's going to be manning the point on one of the most potent power play units in the league. And why wouldn't you want that on your team? So that's your take on Viznovsky. What happens to Boychuk at this point? His previous career high in points was 23, which he achieved last season. And I'm sure a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, we were like, he's going to destroy that this year. He has six points in his first whatever it was, two, three games. Were we like that before? I feel like my concerns about Johnny Boychuk have been well documented on the show over the last couple weeks. I think the thing he's really got going for him is that the Islanders, apparently they love his shot from the point. But like I said, he's not doing anything. No points on the Islanders' last 21 goals. All his percentages are looking to be, you know, sort of regressing towards the mean. And sure, he might see time on that second unit, but I would expect more of the Johnny Boychuk that we expected like 20 days ago versus the one we started expecting maybe 14 days ago. So if you were a Johnny Boychuk owner at this point, is he someone you're looking to drop? Obviously, it depends on who's available and who's, you know, remaining on your team. But just for your general sense, do you see him more as a waiver wire player or someone that should be on someone's team? Well, as a defenseman, I mean, his peripherals are still decent in terms of shots on goal, blocks and hits. He's got a good plus minus so far. He has five power play points. And no, I don't think I'd be ready to drop him just yet unless, I mean, of course, it's always if you're going to drop someone, and we get this on Twitter a lot, somebody asks if they should drop player X without specifying who they would get next. So, it, And that's totally what it depends on because you need to make that direct comparison from X to Y. I can't give a blanket statement on whether you should drop Johnny Boychuk, but I suppose if you own him, you should be looking for replacement and have a few D-men in mind to watch. Maybe, you know, Toby Enstrom comes to mind as a guy that might be available who you can replace Johnny Boychuk with. Also, there might be some people in your league who aren't the savviest and maybe are just looking at the total points 
of the season as opposed to you know how the player is doing in the past couple of weeks. So maybe it's not too late to shop Boychuk around, but it probably is. But moving on to the next out jury, let's talk about Semyon Varlamov, who came back after that week hiatus that sort of just came out of nowhere. He came back, he played a game against Vancouver on Friday and got the win, though not with the most sparkling save percentage. He ended up with 0.897. But Varlamov is back and I guess, Brian, does that mean that he's a must-start moving forward? Wouldn't you like me to say yes? And I, I think I will still say yes, even though I know how happy it'll make you. But I'm going to temper that by pointing out that even after eight games played, which isn't a huge sample, but you know, we're getting towards a decent-sized one, Colorado is the third-worst possession team in the NHL, and if you pretend that the Sabres aren't an NHL team, which they're kind of playing like they're not, then Colorado is the (laughs) second-worst possession team in the NHL as measured by Fenwick percentage. They're down there with noted possession sinkholes, Calgary, Ottawa, Toronto. Another surprising team there actually is San Jose, and even the Kings are in the bottom 10 right now after seven games played. So of course, things still have time to work themselves out. But I still think Varlamov is going to get shelled if things continue this way. And I don't think he's going to stop as many this year as he did last year. All right. Yeah, it's definitely not looking like the dream season that Colorado had last year. But that's what Brian's been telling us all along. And it's coming true. By the way, for any of those who picked up Calvin Pickard when both Varlamov and Bera got injured, it's time to, you know, send him back. Stop snoozing. Stop snoozing. We'll talk about snoozers later. Let's move on to an injury now. Zdeno Chara, that's the big news this week. He's going to be gone for four to six weeks, which is a downer for a lot of his fantasy owners who were enjoying his point production. Last year, he had 40 points. Also, you know, he's great for those peripherals. I don't know if we want to get into who on D to take on Boston. We sort of talked about last week that you shouldn't have been dropping Tory Krug back when he started the season with a slump. We did get a question on Twitter about whether this is going to hurt Rask's value now that Boston doesn't have Chara there to, to you know, play defense and stop goals from going in. Brian, what do you think about Rask's chances now that Chara's out? Well, they can only go up, as we talked about last week, and they did in one game without Chara. Chara Rask stopped 97% of the shots. Wow. But they still gave up 33 shots to a Toronto team that was not playing so well. I think there will definitely be an adjustment period on the Boston blue line, and I'm not worried about Rask in the long term. Still, I remain unfettered that he'll be fine with or without Zdeno Chara. The only thing I think this really means is that Chara will not be available. I don't think anybody is going to step up with wild points all of a sudden. I don't think some new guy is going to step in the lineup and put in a lot of work exactly. I think you'll have one or two, you know, faces that you have no idea who they are and weird names on the back of their jerseys come in and put in some workmanlike efforts. And then Chara will be back before you know it. Unless you own him, I'm sure it'll feel like forever. Sorry to Chara owners. I will throw out one name, though. I'm sure people just want something. Dougie Hamilton played uh, half of the power play time in Boston's last game. So if there's one player who's maybe getting an opportunity with Chara out, it might just be Dougie Hamilton. So if you're in a deep-ish league, you might want to take a look into picking him up. Brian, really quickly, who would you rather have, Hamilton or Boychuk at this point? Oh, that's a tough one. I'm going to go with Dougie Hamilton for the duration of Chara's injury. And I feel like by the time Chara's healthy again, Boychuk will maybe have completely faded. And Hamilton made good use. I mean, you said he he had extra time on the power play last game against Toronto. 
And in the whole game, at even strength, he had a goal and an assist. And on the power play, he added one more assist. He had four shots on goal. I think he's going to be busy. I was going to save him till later in the show, but there it is. Dougie Hamilton, that's a good call. And I mentioned that I'm also going to talk about a suspension. You guys all know where this is going. Slava Voinov, he's out. Uh, domestic abuse charges. We're not going to get into any of that kind of thing. But just in terms of Voinov owners, Brian, should people just cut bait on him at this point? Or should they hang on? Like, what is this guy's value for the rest of the season? I think maybe the best resource for that is the legal commentary on tsn.ca. They have a legal expert named Eric Makramala. He could probably be the one to tell you best when Voinov's going to be back in the lineup. I don't know. I wouldn't hang on to him. If I have like an IR plus slot where I can put him if he's not active, I'd stash him there maybe. Um, But I'm not holding my breath for him to come back anytime soon. Yeah, and I guess you've said it lots of times. LA doesn't put up a lot of points. Voinov only had to assist in six games so it's not as if you know this has been a crushing blow to his owners so yeah my advice would be unless of course like brian said if you have a spot to stash him where it doesn't cost you anything i just cut bait on to the next headline carolina and buffalo are so bad brian which team is it worse to own a player on right now carolina or buffalo because right now i have semen and Falk on Carolina over a couple of my pools, and they're doing nothing. On Buffalo, pretty much everyone's been dropped. In one of my leagues, I saw that any player that was drafted, Hodgson was dropped, Stewart was dropped. I think the only owned players on Buffalo right now might be Tyler Myers and Matt Molson. I don't even know, are these owners snoozing on these guys? Like, what's your take on owning players from these just horrendous teams? They've got to score sometime, right? I think... I guess if one team is not going to score sometime, that team will be Buffalo. And I think they're maybe playing with fire a little bit in how aggressively they seem to be tanking. I'm just saying it doesn't seem like they're trying to fix any problems with their team or ice better players. Their coach has a reputation for not caring about advanced stats, which is what a lot of teams at least claim to be using these days. Meanwhile, Carolina is not throwing in the towel. I've seen a lot of quotes coming from the team and the management there saying that they think they can turn it around. They're still going for it. They're not just looking to fail in time for the draft. However, I'm not sure that's going to have much of an impact on their fortunes. But if I had to choose one team to own a player from of those two, yeah, it would be Carolina. And I'm also going to throw Florida in the mix. I think we may have said that before. Florida is also a team who is not going to score a lot of goals this year and does not seem to really be on the verge of figuring it out. I'd probably still prefer Carolina players over Florida players too. And what do you say to uh, Alex Semin owner, for example? I've seen that he's been dropped in a large number of Yahoo leagues over the past week. If you were a Semin owner, would you hang on? Well, we own a team together and we have Semin on that team. So what did I say to you? (laughs) I just wanted you to tell everybody, Brian, what you told me. You said to hang on. Yeah, and what else did I say? Something about Eric Stahls coming back? <laughs> no, that's not what I said. <laughs> he didn't do that well last season and still had an okay points per game? Yeah, he's a .85 point per game player in his career. He even had .65 points per game during last year's mess in Carolina. I'd be patient. He has nowhere to go but up. I think he'll at least inch his way up. Give him like 10, 12 games. You can't drop a goal scorer like him in less than that and then see what happens. Then you have permission to start considering, unless, of course, there's a really obvious choice on the free agent list. However, your suggestion was Toby Enstrom, who, yeah, is great in some cases, but I don't think he's a .65 point-per-game player. All right, well, hang on to seven. Give him another couple weeks. 
We've also gotten some tweets about Matt Molson. People have been asking whether it's time to finally drop him. What are your thoughts on Molson? Would you hang on? Yeah, same as Semin. Change the numbers, but the sentiment's the same. Just hang in there. Although prospects are a little bleaker in Buffalo. Again, somebody's got to score sometime, right? And when that happens, it'll probably be him. Well, he has 20 shots in nine games. That was 20 chances to score. Of those 20 shots, he has zero goals. He does have two assists, though, so two assists in nine games. I guess, like you say, he could only get better. Let's transition to a couple of listener questions now. First, an email from Faison asking about Corey Conacher. He was saying how this guy was supposed to be playing with Tavares and Ocposo. Where are the points? Conacher's got a golden assist so far in eight games, so definitely not what people who drafted him were expecting. I'd assume, or else why did they draft him? Brian, is uh, Conacher still a reasonable guy to have on your team, or should people be cutting bait ASAP? Well, I don't know if people drafted him. I think at the very least, people picked him up in free agency when it was announced or seeming apparent that he would be on the Isles top line with Okposo and Tavares, which is a very sought-after and prestigious position. Uh, but despite his line mates, he's still Corey Conacher. He's also not a part of the Isles' top power play unit, which is where Ocposo and Tavares have scored 10 of their combined 21 points. That's just less than half of their scoring totals, if you need help with the math. He's also not doing so great in terms of possession, even though Tavares and Ocposo are doing just fine for themselves. Now, I'm not sure if this is totally sound logic, but what I take from that is that maybe he's relying on them an awful lot to get those scoring opportunities and drive possession, and he's not doing much for himself when he's taking turns on the third line, which seems like it's coming more and more often over the last little while. Conacher has played 12 and 13 minutes in two of his last three games, and I feel like he's kind of there on the top line now as the de facto choice, and it's just not working for him. Among forwards who've played more than 75 minutes, he's ranked 174th out of 245 players in points per 60 at even strength. And while guys like Ryan Kessler and Matt Molson and Joffrey Lupel are also ranked right around and below Conacher on that list, their line mates are right there with them. Tavares and Ocposo, they're jumping way ahead at 33rd and 66th in points per 60. They took off before Conacher could even get a hold of their coattails and I fear he's going to be left behind for good before long. And I think the one to watch here instead, well, there's two names. One just appeared. One had already appeared when I started writing this. So let's start with that one, Nikolai Kuleman. As of late, he's seen nearly as much time with Tavares Okposo at even strength as Conacher has. And I also think Kuleman's probably a better player overall. Although some of what we've seen this year hasn't supported that. The problem with him is this. The last time he averaged more than two shots on goal a game was four years ago in 2010-2011. He's managed about two and a half over his last four games played. That's an average. And that paired with his steadily increasing minutes make him someone I think you should keep an eye on. The other guy is Anders Lee. Ah, Brian, that's actually someone I wanted to ask you about in this episode. Anders Lee is very intriguing to me. So he's played just two games. He was recently called up when Josh Bailey got injured. Plus last season, I remember he came in late when Tavares was injured and he put up some really good numbers, 14 points in 22 games. And he had 68 shots on goal. He was just getting a ton of shots. It also looks like Anders Lee played on the top power play yesterday for the Islanders. I know that's only one game, but to me, it seems almost like he's inching towards, you know, grab quick 
territory, maybe take a flyer territory. And right now I have Matt Nieto taking up my bottom left wing spot on San Jose. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on Anders Lee and maybe your thoughts on whether I should be dropping Nieto for him. Well, we don't have much to work with for Anders Lee, but in 26 career games, he has 17 points, has 11 goals, 6 assists, and 11 goals sounds pretty high, but he has 73 shots on goal in that span, so that gives him about a 15% shooting success rate. Maybe that'll regress a little bit. Maybe he's starting to establish. We don't know. I think we need to see maybe like 60, 70, 80 games out of him before we can peg a number that we expect him to hover around. But given the opportunities that he's seeing, both on the power play and at even strength, I think that he is not a bad guy at all to take a flyer on, especially if you've got someone snoozing who you've been waiting for them to start producing. You thought they were a great sleeper pick, but they're just not doing anything for you. Maybe now is an okay time to make a swap for a guy that you already took a flyer on and isn't delivering. Swap him out for Anders Lee if you can. And as to your Matthew Nieto question, well, he started the season strong with three points in three games. Nothing at all, though, for the last six games, except a bunch of ones and twos in the shots on goal column. Yeah, and to add insult to injury for people who have still been hanging on to Nieto like me, which I won't be doing for long. When I picked him up, he was also having great line mates. I recall he was with, I think, Couture, but recently he even was playing with Pavelski and Thornton. But yesterday, he was dropped to what I guess is the third line or the fourth line playing with Chris Tierney and Tommy Wingles. So now that... Nieto doesn't even play with any of these top performers. I don't really see any reason to hang on. I'm excited about Anders Lee. I'm definitely going to pick him up before I release this podcast, in case some people in my pool are listening. Let's move on to another listener question, or maybe a set of listener questions. At John Dodd wrote to us, at Keeping Carlson, is Bobby Ryan someone I should grab off waivers? At Ninja 9294 asked, what are your thoughts on Bobby Ryan? At Joe Flacco 11 asked, should I trade Bobby Ryan for Schwartz, Verbata, or Bodker? So basically, a lot of people are wondering, what's up with Bobby Ryan? And I think the reason was, after five games, he only had two points. He did, however, get a goal and an assist in his last game. So maybe that's going to calm some people down. But Brian, what do you think about Bobby Ryan? Is he a for sure hold on at all costs? Or... You know, if he slumps, is he worth looking to shop or even potentially drop? I would definitely lean towards holding on to him. He's a proven and fairly established 30-goal scorer. He hasn't done it yet with Ottawa, but we're hoping he can, and I think he will. Let's actually zoom out a bit and think about Bobby Ryan along with his line mates of last year, Clark MacArthur and Kyle Touris. This year, they have a combined 5 goals and 7 points for a total of 12 points in 18 games played, which is a little out of whack for what could be expected from the players that made up one of last season's highest scoring lines. Except this year, they're not playing together, or at least they weren't, until they were reunited in the third period of the Sens' most recent game versus New Jersey when they were down a goal late in the third and looking for offense. That's a good sign for owners of all three. Despite seeing a relatively huge share of offensive zone starts, Bobby Ryan and his regular linemates Alex Chieson and Mika Zibanejad just haven't been doing a whole lot, and many elk over at sendstats.com took a good look at this with screenshots provided and put out the theory that maybe it's a handedness thing that's preventing those three from doing a whole lot together. But whatever the problem is, I think Bobby Ryan is too valuable a goal scorer for it not to be fixed soon by the team for him to be put in a better position to succeed. Tourists and MacArthur, meanwhile, are 
actually around the same points per 60 rates that they were during their breakout seasons last year, but Ryan is definitely in the dumps. All his percentages are fairly normal, so I'm just going to appeal to his being on a new line and a small sample size as a way to describe the rough start that had all those tweets from concerned listeners coming in waves. He just picked up two power play points against New Jersey, so that by-low opportunity may be starting to close. Over his career, he's averaged about three quarters of a point per game, and it's safe for you to hope for him to be a 55-point guy, though the homer in me wants to say 60. If all of that, according to your league rules and settings and players available in free agency, makes him a valuable player to your team, then keep him. Use all that. Don't use the six games he's played so far. Please, he's going to be fine. Let's move over to Nashville now. We don't really talk about the Predators often, and I think there's a couple of people worth discussing. First of all, their top line is pretty interesting. It's uh, James Neal, Mike Ribeiro, and Philip Forsberg, all people who are, you know, new to being on Nashville's top line, two of them new to being on Nashville at all. And surprisingly, if you look at their total points, the person who's leading the team right now in points is Philip Forsberg, who is, you know, just a young rookie. And I'd be very curious to know, Brian, if you think that he's going to be able to keep up his current production. He's got seven points in eight games. Not to discount Ribeiro's six points in eight games and James Neal's five, though James Neal had a hat trick in one of those games. So if you take that away, it's not exactly so impressive. Yeah, well, Forsberg had an especially hot start, and he is the one of the three that interests me the most. He had just 18 games played to his name prior to this season, and he's long been touted as one of the top prospects in the game. And I think everybody agreed when he was traded to Nashville in exchange for Martin Erat that Nashville got away with larceny in that trade. He's a full-time NHLer for the first time now, and early returns, like you're saying, have been good. He's got a goal and six assists for seven points in seven games played, with a plus nine and just under two shots per game. But here's the bad news. His PDO is at 118, which is obviously an early season aberration, but it's still worth pointing out nonetheless. He's been particularly aided in the plus-minus category by a 977 on-ice save percentage, And he's also seen 20% of his team's shots find the net while he's on the ice. That's contributed probably to his six assists in seven games. But his own shooting percentage is fairly normal. He's seeing the fifth most ice of all forwards at even strength in Nashville, and the third most with the man advantage. He's seeing relatively fair zone starts too. So while he probably won't keep up a point per game pace while racking up the pluses, he'll still have plenty of opportunities to put forward his best effort. I'll also point out, I guess maybe I was a bit harsh on James Neal. He does have 28 shots in eight games, so I don't think you should be worried about him either. I'm actually very interested to see what happens with Nashville. They had such a great start to the season, I guess in large part due to their goalie. Brian, do you think Pekarine is back to being one of the elite goalies in the league, or do we still have to wait to see if he's more of the second or third tier, like we talked about him in our goalie preview podcast? Yeah, we were pretty ambivalent towards Rene during our smorgolish board. We kind of painted him as a guy whose name had somehow become more respectable than his numbers should have allowed, and we figured this was the season where he had to do something special or significant to set himself apart as a top five or even top ten goalie in the league. And so far, yeah, he, he's doing it. He's managing it among goalies who have played the majority of their team's games so far. He sits fourth in even strength save percentage, stopping over 95% of all shots he's faced at five on five. It's a bit of a wacky group at the top. Jonas Hiller leads the league. That's not going to last all year. Followed by Jonathan Quick and Roberto Luongo. And Freddie Anderson on the Ducks is fifth. 
But Rene, he stopped 5% more of the shots that he was able to last year when he narrowly avoided falling below 900 in albeit a fairly small sample. Rene owners should hope that he falls somewhere in between that 900 and 950 number this year. And that's not a terribly unfair expectation. Between 2010 and 2012, that's a two-season span, he was fourth among goalies who regularly saw the ice and even strength save percentage. Then again, Nicholas Backstrom was third. However, they are in very different places in their career arcs. If you just take a look at the year they were born, there's more reason to be optimistic about Rene right now than there has been for a couple years. All right, and it's unfortunately that time again where we need to start closing out the show, but let's end it with a quick sleepers and snoozers segment. And let's maybe start with some snoozers. That's a term that I think Brian coined last season for players that you have on your roster that you might just not be realizing that it's time to think of dropping. So, Brian, who do you have for snoozers this week? Well, Elon, it's still early in the season, so I'm still a little reticent to name somebody as a definitive snoozer. One guy you're probably thinking is a snoozer is Dustin Brown. I've got some reasons why that may or may not be the case, but more why it may not be the case. So I guess we're going a little contrary to the segment, but bear with me here because I think we both thought he was a definite snoozer before looking further into his numbers. But when I do, the number that strikes me the most is that his on-ice shooting percentage is 2.78%, and his on-ice save percentage is 98%. So he's seeing a lot of luck in terms of the shots that are being stopped while he's on the ice, but almost none when talking about the shots that are going towards the opposition net while he's on the ice. He has just one goal in seven games. He's put about two shots on goal on average in those games, and he's not apparently hitting as much when I know that's where he carries a lot of value in leagues where hits count for points. He's still seeing the greatest share of ice time among LA Kings forwards, Although there are no easy minutes if you're an LA Kings forward, if you take a look at their player usage charts and you can see those over, well, in several places, but I'm looking at waronice.com, it's just like a giant cluster around 50% zone starts and about the same competition for all of them, except like the third and fourth liners like Jordan Nolan and Kyle Clifford. They're seeing easier competition than their teammates. All this to say, Dustin Brown is not doing anything so far this year. You can expect that that'll go up a little bit, enough to make him worthwhile. I don't think so. I think over the last couple seasons, his fantasy stock has dropped, and rightfully so. He went from like a 55, 60-point player to maybe like a 50-point player, and last year he was a 30-point player. Well, 27 to be exact, even though he did see an unfavorable shooting percentage. I would just be wary of having him on your roster. He's not doing a whole lot with the time he's being given. And if there is a more enticing option on your free agent list or waiver wire, you really might want to consider it. And if not, just wait for more of the pucks to go in while he's on the ice. It's bound to happen. Cool, yeah. And then do you have another snoozer for us? It hurts me to say this because he had such an exciting break into the NHL last year, but Thomas Hurdle might be a snoozer. I think he was probably taken fairly high in a lot of drafts. And he doesn't have a whole lot to show for it so far this year. He has two goals in nine games, zero assists. And the number that's most concerning to me is 10 shots on goal. That's like one and a tenth of a shot per game. If that number doesn't go up, the rest of his aren't likely to follow. I find it interesting that his on-ice shooting percentage is pretty good. So his teammates are doing all right, yet he has zero assists and hasn't been a part of those scoring plays. He's cause for concern. And like Dustin Brown, it's 
still too early to definitively call him a snoozer, but he's definitely on snoozer watch. Snoozer patrol for Thomas Hurdle. I'm glad we finally got a Hurdle mention. It's already three or four episodes into the season, Brian. Last year, we already had like 10 of these. Yeah, he was the Tanner Pearson and Brock Nelson of last year. And then to actually close out the show, how about I'll just throw out a couple of people that I think are worth keeping an eye on right now. I'm sure Brian will say why they're actually not. But a couple people on my watch list, Lyndon Vay on Vancouver. He's currently playing on the top power play along with the Sedins and Verbata and has a respectable four points in seven games so far. He's not getting a ton of ice time, though. So that would obviously be cause for concern. But in a deep league, he might be worth taking a look at. You know, Elon, I like where you're going with that. And I'd like to totally agree with you, but I'm not sure his two goals on six shots in seven games played is really going to cut it with me right now. He only had eight shots on goal in 18 games played for LA last year. And this year, he's also averaging less than one shot on goal per game. That concerns me. Although, like you said, his teammates are doing all right. He's getting decent ice time. And four points in the first seven games is nothing to sneeze at. I'll allow you a watch list for that one at least. (laughs) And another guy who I'm not sure what you'll think of me having on my watch list, but I still want to mention is Damian Brunner over on New Jersey. He was scratched for the first few games of the season. He's finally gotten into the lineup. He's played four games so far. He's got a goal and two assists to show for it. Two points on the power play. He's also climbing up in ice time. He played 19 minutes two games ago against Dallas, got six shots on goal, including one goal. Then yesterday against Ottawa, he played 18 minutes. So Damien Brunner, also top power play, I should mention. So Brunner seems to be becoming an important part of the New Jersey roster. And where does that put him for you? Well, last year he took a step back. He was probably part of the Devils' top nine, was not a huge part of their scoring or success. He managed just 25 points in 60 games. That's less than half a point per game, which means to me he's fantasy irrelevant. Even in his first year, when he played with Detroit in the lockout-shortened season, he had 26 points in 44 games, which was really exciting because he was kind of coming out of nowhere as like an older guy from a European league. But I think he has to raise his game a little more after that initial season for me to get excited about him. I'm not super excited that six shots on goal was great, and he did score a goal that game, which would make sense given the percentages. I'm not interested in him to this point. I get why you would be, uh, but me personally... Not so much. Okay, and actually I should mention, I said that he was on the top power play. It seems like he's on the second power play that just happened to get more ice time in the last game. He's up there with Eliash and Ryan Klo, while the first New Jersey line has Camilleri, Yager, and Zajac for the top power play unit. But, okay, just someone to keep it on. Brian, I'm just throwing names out for people. People just want to have something, I think. Yeah, I feel like a real wet blanket here where you're throwing out these guys you're excited about as being maybe sleepers. And I'm like, uh, not going to be sleepers. But that's part of fantasy hockey. And I think that shows the difference in strategies possible. You can go with the guy who's hot and try and catch him while things are going well. Or you take the long view and kind of just stay steady. And, and that's Obviously, the difference between the two of us, if you want to take those guys, if you want to try and grab an up-and-comer, especially if your league is deep, then I could see why these guys are definitely worth considering and why you might want to be the first to jump on them before somebody else does, just in case their good run continues for longer than we'd anticipate. Okay, sure. But I guess 
the takeaway is that you think Anders Lee is the best potential sleeper that we've talked about so far this week? Yeah, Anders Lee, Lubomir Wisniewski, and Dougie Hamilton are probably the three guys that I would be most excited about who we've talked about this week, and that's not counting Bobby Ryan, who I think we should already have been excited about. Okay, so I guess you won't be too excited if I mention Justin Abdelkader on the Detroit Red Wings. I just wanted to point out that he is playing on the top line with Henrik Zetterberg and Gustav Nyquist right now, so... Another guy to maybe keep an eye on, but obviously not in the same league as those other people you just mentioned. Now, he's a guy, actually, where everything kind of seems to be working properly. And Elon, I think that's that's a good ad, especially if your league counts hits. He's averaging three a game along with about two and a half shots per game. He's got three goals to assist for five points in eight games, playing, like you said, with Zetterberg and Nyquist. I think he's someone to watch. I feel like he's always been someone to watch. I feel like if he had a more exciting, like, maybe European name, I'd be higher on him. For some reason, he just seems like a total sandpaper guy to me every time I look at him, even though that would normally really get me excited to have someone being the third part of such a good line. But, you know, despite flashes of what he might be able to do before, his career high is still 28 points, which he got last season in 70 games played. But perhaps he's got a better opportunity this year. Certainly worth watching. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you, Brian, for all of your analyses, as always. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for yet another episode. We really appreciate all the feedback we've gotten on Twitter. We love when you ask us fantasy hockey questions. Hopefully, you've been happy with our responses and we've been helping you. If you want to help us, like I always say... It would really be great if you could go on iTunes and give us a five-star review. Helps people find the show. We've, of course, got a full season of fantasy hockey coverage yet to come, so you definitely want to be subscribed to us on your pod-catching device or program. But that's enough for me. Brian, why don't you go and read everybody the credits? Okay, this show was presented by and researched with help from dailyfaceoff.com. We also use the resources pocalytics.com, waronice.com, which is fantastic. They add features so quickly and are so friendly on Twitter if you're ever having a question or feature that you'd like to be added. We also got help from Progressive Hockey and Yahoo Sports and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. All right, and I forgot to cue the outro music, so let's do that now. And Brian, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Elon, and keep on keeping Carl song. Hey, you stuck around to the end of the outro music. Thanks a lot. You've already made your first step towards becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson. But okay, seriously, I really appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to make this pitch to you. So here's the deal. First of all, I just want to say that Brian and I really appreciate all of our listeners. We think it's really cool that we could talk about fantasy hockey, which is what we love to do. And we actually have people not only listening, but interacting with us on Twitter. It's been a lot of fun. And we plan to be doing this for a long time, regardless of how this whole patron thing goes. But that being said, since you did stick around, I am going to give you a bit of inside info into what it actually takes to put together an episode of Keeping Carlson. You know, we're not your regular fantasy hockey podcast. We don't just kind of sit down and talk about our fantasy teams for an hour or so and then just throw it on the internet. 
Brian does a lot of research leading up to an episode, trying to gather all of the fancy stats and figuring out which players would be interesting to talk about. I do some research as well. Then after the recording, I sit down to take on the edit. Believe it or not, Brian doesn't speak as smoothly as it seems like it does when we're recording. Obviously, we need to stop, look things up, check things out. So it usually takes me at least three hours to edit the show. It's my goal to make it a really nice, clean edit so you have a tight episode to listen to without any of our side conversations or anything like that. Then, of course, there's all the time we spend on Twitter trying to help you with your fantasy hockey questions. Again, it's a lot of fun. We enjoy it. It's our hobby to talk about fantasy hockey. But at the same time, you're asking us questions. If you check our timeline, we're getting fantasy hockey questions all the time, and we don't want to just phone it in. So we think about each question we get and try to give the best advice that we can. That's all just talking about the time commitment that we put in. There's also, of course, the financial costs. There's standard things like server costs and the web domain. Also, I just recently bought a new microphone because I wasn't happy with the sound quality coming from my side of the recording. We're probably going to be getting Brian something new as well soon. So far, all of that has been coming out of my pocket. And I don't mind, like I'm happy to do it. But at the same time, we're trying to get some extra support for the show. So that's where you come in. And before I go further, I once again want to emphasize that if you're not interested in becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson, that's totally cool. We're very happy to have you as a listener. We hope you'll stick around for as long as we'll keep putting out episodes. But if you are interested in taking that extra step to helping us put out the podcast, we set up this account on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, which allows you to give us small monthly donations in exchange for some rewards or incentives that we've come up with. And I think they're pretty cool. So let me get into the rewards that we're willing to offer. So for any donation at all, any monthly donation as low as $1 a month, we will just extend our deepest gratitude. We'll mention your name on the podcast if you're interested in that. And yeah, you'll just always have our appreciation. Then for $5 a month or more, so you could just get right in there at $5 a month. That's like I don't know, 70 cents an episode, like some small amount like that. You'll basically become part of our inner group of Keeping Carlson. We're going to make a private patron-only Facebook page where we can all chat about fantasy hockey. We're trying to build a bit of a community. You know, all the patrons of Keeping Carlson could go to the Facebook page, post information about their team, ask the other patrons for advice. Brian and I will obviously be there trying to give the best advice we can. Not to say we won't continue to give advice on Twitter when we're asked, but, you know, you can only do so much with 140 characters. So this will be a place if you really want to get engaged with us and with the other patrons about your fantasy hockey team, just to talk shop. You know, it's our passion. It's the thing that we're all interested in. Obviously, you've listened to this podcast for a reason. And yeah, so we think that would be really cool and a nice incentive for you to be able to be part of this neat community. Also, another thing we're going to do for our $5 or higher patrons is we're going to set up a monthly Google Hangout, which will basically be like a live call-in show where people can call in to ask us fantasy hockey questions and we'll sort of research and answer them on the fly. And of course, for anyone who can't make it to the live episode, we'll also make a recording of the episode available as a special bonus podcast to any of these $5 or higher patrons. And then finally, for anyone that's willing to give us $10 a month, which would be Completely bananas to me. That would be just unbelievable. We will give you, of course, everything that we offer to the $5 patrons. And in addition, we will give your team a monthly personal audit. So what we're thinking there is you send us all the details of your fantasy hockey team, who you have, you know, what your league settings are, who's available on the free agent list. 
and we will analyze your team and then get back to you either with an online chat or we could have a Skype call or something. And we could just give you our analysis of what we think you should do to improve your team. So that's really just personal one-on-one advice. You know, maybe you should drop this guy and pick up this guy, or maybe you should try to upgrade your defense and trade a, a goalie, you know, something like that. That's for the $10 a month patrons. I'm going to stop my pitch here. If you want more information, you could go to www.patreon.com slash keepingcarlson to sign up as a patron or to get more information. Also, if you have any questions, you can email us, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. Of course, this is the kind of thing where you can cancel at any time. You know, you don't have to make any commitments. And if you've gotten to the end of this and you would like to help the show, but you can't afford to give a monthly donation, you know, you could still definitely help the show just by giving us a five-star review on iTunes like we ask for all the time. But if you want to go the extra mile, we think that we could create a cool thing with this patron-only Facebook group and our monthly podcast. So yeah, thanks for listening to my spiel. And like Brian mentioned in this episode, we're probably going to be putting out another bonus episode sometime in a couple of days. And then after that, we'll have our next full episode in a week from now. So good luck to everyone with your fantasy hockey teams this week.